you very much, Gordon. And we are going to have our question and answer period now, and we'd ask people to approach the mic so that the questions can be uh, put on the website and recorded, and state your name, and give a question for Dr. Rosen, and then return to your seat um, so you're not up there fisticuffing with him, because he will do some of that. Um, and keep your questions brief and on point. We had great discussion at our table, and so I hope there's some of the uh, some of the folks from that section of the room that come up and pose some of the questions they gave to me. Who would like to start us off? I know you've got some feedback here, but yes, come on up, Dr. Rosen. We had conversations at our table about uh, who can you find, how can you find someone to trust. I see we have someone coming to the microphone now. I don't remember uh, agreeing to give answers. Oh, that's too bad. You're either that or you're paying for lunch for everybody in the room. My, my name is Howard Taylor. My question is fairly simple. Exactly what are you suggesting that we as Canadians or we as Canada do? That one's very easy to answer. You have to, to be frank, get off your butts and start harassing the lawmakers and politicians. Because every time I do presentations in Ottawa or wherever it happens to be, I get the comment, yeah, but you're weird, and the rest of the people I don't think in the country... Where's the feedback coming from? Are you under that mic, that speaker? This one moving here? around. Yeah, it sounds back for the, because you're... Can I go right through the wall? No. I'll turn this one off. Yeah. 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 Standing in front of this mic. I get the comment all the time that Canadians don't feel that way. That what you are complaining about, you're just one of those extreme views. Well, do you want to come through our file room in our office and notice all the cases we've had? We're representing other people, so at least I have those. Yeah, but these are an exception. Then they'll say, according to the Globe and Mail or whatever, Canada has very, very few problems compared to the U.S. That's why in, in the book we did the first appendix is a list of some of the scams in Canada just to show that we have tons and tons of these things. But you should form groups, send letters into to Edmonton and to Ottawa signed by three or four of you. Terry Shillington, thank you very much for your presentation. Uh, this probably classifies as a naive question, but when I'm part of community organizations, we're expected uh, slash required to have an outside audit of uh, what we report to, uh, to uh, our constituency. And um, would not corporations be required to have an outside audit, independent audit of their books as they go to a AGM? Is that, is that a naive assumption? No, not at all. You're on to a really good point. The vast majority of Canadians... Let me back up for a second. So we somehow are allowed to talk to partners. We have to talk to partners in the law firms, in banks, uh, the employees in insurance companies, directors, and so on. 
So it's not that I am sort of ostracized totally or even partially. We're permitted to go in to try to educate these people. And the first thing you notice is most people have no clue about what an audit is. We are one country in the world who, and I'll be very frank, is stupid enough to let the auditors set the rules of how to account and how to audit. So are the auditors going to set rules to make their life difficult? Of course not, but we tolerate that. And other countries threw that thing out years ago. So most of you think an audit does things it doesn't do. They use sampling techniques. They focus on a few things of interest to them. They have Hercules as a case where they're protected. So if an audit is a mess, it's just a cost of doing business. So get it out of your skull that an audit is other than going through a few motions. It doesn't do it, and even if they mess up, they have the law behind them. So if you sample 1% of transactions, or one-tenth of 1%, you're not going to find much. So the audit that you're going to get in public sector organizations is nowhere close to what you want as someone on a governing council. Any follow-up on that question? Yeah, I know, but I, on this one I want to drive it home. The word audit is not understood in this country. For the most part, very little is done by an audit. This is not like a tax audit. Hi, Deb Darby. Thanks very much for this presentation. I was just wondering, do you think that IFRS is better or worse than GAAP? And are we moving more towards a principle-based and rule ba or ruled versus principle? And do you think that the lack of rules and GAAP may have led us to where we are right now? IFRS, the International Financial Reporting Standards, which uh, Canada is adopting as of January 2011, moving away from generally accepted accounting principles, which was principle-based versus rule-based, compared to some of the other countries which are more rule-based. Okay, you have an accounting background? Yeah. How can I tell? <laughs> and how can I tell that you've been brainwashed by one of the big four accounting firms? Well, I, I know, but you're not going to like my answer. IFRS was called by the U.S. a race to the bottom. All right, now hang on for a second. Where did this stuff come from? The European Union, 10 years ago, roughly said by January 1st, 2005, you European countries get your act together on financial reporting. Why? Because we have a European Union and we want you on the same basis. So Holland, Netherlands, whatever you want to call it, had a mixed system somewhere on this current value stuff. You had Germany more of a rigid system. You had France with a partial. Whatever the hell Greece was doing, I haven't figured out yet. So the whole point was that you had to get these people to agree. So all you could do is offer the greatest sympathy 
to the people on those committees trying to solve that. They solved it by the lowest common denominator. What can you people agree on? All right? In doing that, they threw out tons of protections that were built into the system as a result of previous frauds and how to handle them. In Canada, they threw out, like I have estimated in our practice over the last 25 years that like three quarters to 90% of the cases that we were successful in quote prosecutions under Canadian GAP, we would get zero under IFRS. It's because of the nature of the rules. So when you ask me why Canada adopted this stuff like a year and a half or so after the Europeans started on a, this new base, all I can say is it had to be nasty and insane. Now, principles-based is a pile of crap, all right? It got so bad with some of us attacking it that the proponents of IFRS stopped calling their stuff principle-based. One of the things we did is we bent, went back to the U.S., what they call the concept series, during the 1960s, part of the 1970s. If you take those concept things that the U.S. put out and you compare it to the so-called IFRS principles, you've got over half the words are the same words. So the U.S. rules-based stuff was BS promoted by Canada. The U.S. had both principles and rules. What, I don't even know what the IFRS principles are and I've had to give endless speeches and in-house presentations. So principles versus rules is pure Canadian lies. Okay? So where does IFRS sit? It is a pathetic mess with about a half a dozen exceptions. So take that back to your accounting friends and they'll say, where did you go for lunch? To some <laughs> lunatic asylum? That's it? No more courage? Hi. Name is uh, Ron Biggers. So IFRS is, is a bunch of crap. Hub and, and GAP, the generally accepted accounting principles, is the current standard. Yeah, that, it is semi-crap, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I'm wondering. What else? What should, what should we then have? Well, the, if, if, the, if the U.S. rules at least are policed by the Securities Commission and the class action lawyers and so on. But, so, but what about Enron? What about – I mean, they have then a better rule system, but they have just as much – No. Aren't, no aren't that, just, that's Canadian, Canadian media BS. You're never going to catch the top – 20%, 15% of the big scam. You oh, just won't. I agree. And, but what we're trying to prevent is the 75% that don't work in the U.S. and fly daily in Canada. Because we don't do anything. There are tons of these Ponzi schemes that we're not paying attention to. Just while you're on that, let me... I got in an argument with a guy in our office on the investment side. So... 
to recognize a profit in Canada, you have to first have some revenue, sales, whatever you want to call it. And the tests are, one, you have to know the costs of production or service. Mm -hmm. Two is you have to know the revenue agreed contract price. And the third one is you have to have the ability to collect the receivable, mm -hmm. get the cash. So you look up the revenue recognition rules, and this may change because they're, they're studying it now. But you tell me what this represents. So it says no cost, no revenue, and it says you have to meet this condition. It is probable that the economic benefits associated with the transaction will flow to the entity. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> you were going to ask. And you're going to have every accountant and auditor interpreted differently. Is Larry an economic benefit? He, he, ha he has been. <laughs> well, how, do you, how do you define economic benefit? You, is she your lawyer? And then will flow to the entity when? Today? A year? Ten years? This was closed down by Canadian Gap, is wide open again. Nortel's trick. You know, we need more revenue this year. So find a bunch of deadbeat customers and sell them stuff and ship to them. Then, when you don't collect it, Next step is you call the receivable non-current, meaning you collect it later. Then when you don't collect it, you put that receivable into something called investment in deadbeat corporation. And then it sits on your balance sheet like a house or anything else. Nortel had to restate its financial statements four times. Okay, so if these are the so-called principles, and where did the principles lady go? She hiding? Okay, do you know how to interpret this stuff? If so, you do. Honestly, there's no substance to it. So why did you ask me the question? Is IFRS better or much better than Canadian Gap? Yeah, you don't want to, want, want to know my real words. I can't use them in here. <laughs> okay, so well, this, well, this the, is... The thing with it is, I, th I think we probably could agree on what they would want it to mean, but then there's all these high-priced lawyers that can say, well, we could also get it to mean this, and we can also do it to mean that. Dang and on. that's where human nature enters in, where there's flawed and greedy people who will skew that to their own purposes. And that, I couldn't be on this, uh, more on the same page as, as you are. So... So you're thinking uh, 1914 Stalin type, that's sort of what, what is necessary, like a grassroots, ground-based movement where we rise up and then stand up because that's, it's not in the nature of us, of Canadians. Now, I've been here 29 years, but I confess I was born and raised in Holland, so that's why I'm at the mic and 
Joe Schmo isn't. <laughs> but but what, I'm, what I'm saying is, how is this actually going to happen? It's, it's a good idea, but how are enough people actually going to stand up because they have seen, they elect in this person, and that next person that they think will represent their point of view, power corrupts, absolutely, and they get in there, and that doesn't happen either. And then now apathy starts sending in. Yeah. And finally, here on Leftbridge, we had a movement here in municipal elections where people stood up and said, enough is enough. And that's what you, I, I think, hope to piggyback that, that's on. What and, I wanted, and, that, yeah. and that's a laudable, laudable effort, and I, I think you should be commended on that. I had one other little point. When you, a question on earlier, when you mentioned there was only two prosecutions in the investment side, did no, you? No, no, there, there, there are more, but they're so trivial in dollars. Oh, okay, okay, and and that's and that's a fair statement because I'm thinking I can name you two people in Leftbridge alone who got, who got fined, but. Now I'm on the same page as you are. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you're talking about the big, and, that, and that's Larry made the same point. You're talking about really big business, the guys that we are really going to catch on hundreds of billions of dollars rather than somebody who's just, just yeah. going to scam $50 million yeah, or something like five, that. $500 billion on Nortel alone. I, I thought that would have been a grassroots movement and people were raising up and doing something and nothing happened. The U.S., charged Nortel $35 million fine. What did Canada charge Nortel? Zero. So it tells you right there. How, how is it that hundreds of thousands, etc. dollars have been spent on trying to tell Canadians that this IFRS is good for them, and there isn't one cent that I'm aware of that's been spent on telling Canadians, how do you use this garbage? Because we're having to go around to the clients now, and we're telling them, here are the danger signals of where you've been fed nonsense. Why are we having to do it, and we're fighting this big media group who is saying how wonderful it is? It's not wonderful. This is the worst thing I've seen. And I've been around in this for well over 40 years. I've just ne never seen anything this bad. In 1972, the Canadian Institute of Chartered Accountants published a study on having alternatives to the Canadian gap at the time. And current value accounting was one of the things to look at. Well, it so happens I was the author. So I get attacked by people saying, you're just against other than historical costs. No, that's not true. Go do your research. I was the guy who started it along with a couple of other people who hired me who were CAs. And all this stuff has disappeared now. So we have the idea in place, the wonderful principle, with no backup rules. You can't take this stuff in the court. How am I going to take this economic benefits in the court and try to get money back for you? It's impossible. Al, Larry Alford here. Two, uh, one plug, two questions. The plug is go to albertafraud.com, and there's a start of a grassroots movement there about how people are abusing the public trust uh, without being held accountable. Uh, first question, how much were the bonuses paid out to some of the Nortel executives? Do you know what John Roth? They were, they were monstrous. They, uh, because of Nortel's operations, they were actually showing big losses. Uh, 
And they said, this is unacceptable. Let's forget about a whole bunch of expenses and we'll move up until we get a positive figure. And they called that pro forma profit. All right? And this is one of the things you watch out for, is pro forma, targeted, distributable cash. They're all cons. So on the pro forma bonus, they got tons and tons of bonuses. They had stock options that they could cash in. All of that stuff was fake because what they did is they took a whole bunch of expenses, like your lunch today, we put it on the balance sheet as an economic benefit. Now, did the Securities Commission say anything about that? Not for the first, like, two, three years. Did the auditors say anything about it? Not for the first two, three years. So by the time everybody had lost their shirt and they were working on your underwear to disappear, somebody finally said something. And this is what we see on transaction after transaction. Mary Shillington, you said back in the 30s that other countries, well, you, the U.S. changed their legislature, uh, legislation around these issues. Why? What's happened with our both provincial and federal governments? Why are they not taking any kind of action, or what are they doing instead? Uh-huh. You are not harassing them to do something, right? So if they can get away with doing nothing, they'll do nothing. And that's what we've seen. It annoys me no end to get something, a letter from Flaherty in response to me harassing him on something where he says, what have you got against this and that? And you have to write back and say, I don't know what you're talking about because your base for this stuff is wrong, meaning that his finance department people have fed him nonsense. So now you're in a fight with them one-on-one. -on -one. Same with Industry Canada the guy who made the decision on potash. Trying to get a decent answer out of Industry Canada, forget it. You've got people in there who try to block you. So without them, like all the time I get the response, Canadians don't care about this stuff. Stop being a nuisance. Well, if you lose half a trillion dollars on the Nortels and the Business Income Trust, why bother studying your pension, because you're not going to have any pension anyway. The crooks have taken the money. So as long as they don't hear from you, they assume that everything is fine. What, what can I say other than both parties had better smarten up? Yes. Can you yell it loud and clear? Um, hi, Bridget Pasteur. I've just finished sitting on a, a, a committee that uh, reviewed FOIP. So my question would be, how often do you have to use FOIP in your job? And um, are you blocked on many of the places that you would like FOIP information? Yes, you're blocked all the time. So uh, we now know some sources where we can get information. One of the beauties of having been a professor for a thousand years is your students will feed you stuff. And it took a while for me to catch on to that. And they will often be cheesed off with their employer or group, and they'll give us leads on where things can be found on the Internet and so on. 
But being blocked by the media, this is standard fare. When BCE owned a whole bunch of the television and newspapers and so on, we were repeatedly blocked. So you just have to fight past that. The best fight is sending a letter signed by multiple people. And when they write back some BS, you say you didn't answer my question. Hi, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Uh, wouldn't it be in the interest of uh, people like Harper and Faculty to to have some uh, better rules in effect? Because do they d directly uh, benefit from having no rules to speak of? Yeah, but I, I like there are two or three levels I can handle that question on, but. Surely to simplify their life, because this IFRS stuff is so loosey-goosey, it has to blow up. And it doesn't matter which political party is in power, this has to be a major embarrassment to them. So those types of things, why not head them off now? The other side of it, do you want loose rules as a politician? Of course. One of the best examples is... Where do you think a lot of the money offshore, who, who are the owners of these things? If you're in the U.S. and you need some things to happen in a country and you have to grease the wheels and so on to get those things to happen, isn't it better that you have money offshore to get this thing done? So how much clamping down on offshore stuff can exist if the governments are part of the cost? Okay, we're just about out of time here. I'm going to do a final closing. Uh, the Nortel question I ask you, I know one man took $120 million home as his bonus, and there was at least six CEOs that went through Nortel in the final, final decade of its life. Uh, question number two is, does this corporate auditing, accounting fluffiness apply to our cities, our municipalities, our Alberta health care, our uh, government accounting, as well as to corporate accounting? Yes, 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 yes. And what was the last one? Yes, I guess. <laughs> We've done enough studies. Uh, like in Ontario, we were appointed on one of the school board big study and managed to, I managed to appear in the Toronto Star as evil uh, every day for a couple of weeks. Then we went on into the health system and got flack for that. And then into the power system, Bruce Power and, and so on. Uh, this uh, basis of reporting, the trickery is there. The politicians have learned very well. When, when you change government, you suddenly find all of the rotten stuff and blame it on the previous government. That's called cooking the books government style. So there it is. Uh, we joke about this effort to get IFRS into other places as the one-size-fits-all shoe store. So would you want to invest in the one-size-fits-all shoe store? But that's what they're investing in. Because if you think this one-size shoe is going to fit everything, you're crazy. It makes training easy, but you've returned. I get, yes, I know. I'm sorry. Um, just because you triggered something in my head when you were talking about Bruce Power, um, I think we have Bruce Power in our province right now probably going towards nuclear. Could you um, give us a little bit of details of how they operated in Ontario? Well, it, it ended up with uh, sort of public 
then it was sold into England, then it was sold into other companies. And on that particular basis, like what years are you talking about? Uh, as it eventually was sold out of England into these three Canadian companies who control it, um, they tried to establish a fair value. Did they get help on whether there's contamination and so on? I don't know. I would assume so. But it, there were political promises made to get rid of the coal generation. What you know is that wind power and so on is very, very costly. And so this greening the environment is at a huge cost compared to nuclear. I think we've just about covered it, Al. Ladies and gentlemen, would you help me thank Al Rosen for coming to Lethbridge, Alberta on his tour. Thank you very much.